2: All right, let's get to the players that the Nationals have actually added so we can go through one by one here, starting with uh, Juan Yepez, who they've picked up here on the cheap and added. He's a 25-year-old Venezuelan player. He was in the Cardinals organization, uh, made his debut in May of 2022 as a 24-year-old DH first baseman type. He actually, in 2023, uh, didn't play very well at the major league level and kind of went back and forth, was uh, more in A than in the big leagues. But in 2022, when he got called up and played for the Cardinals, he played about a half a season in the show, 76 games, about 200 plate appearances. So really more, I would say, of like a third of a season. But he hit almost 280 with a 920 OPS, and he had 16 home runs and 188 at-bats. I mean, that is big-time power being displayed. Uh, you do some quick math there. You know, that's a homer every 11 or so at bats. So if you were to play a full season, let's just say you had 600 at bats playing every day, you know, that's a 54 home run season for wanya pett So he showed major home run power in 22. It was a mess in 23, 28 games, 65 plate appearances, got off to a slow start, and then they kind of moved on and had other options. It just one eighty in the majors with a 540 OPS. Uh, but in triple A, we have seen him play at a high level and do some pretty good things. You know at the 3A level, we saw him in 2022 and he was going well, have a 920 OPS with um 16 home runs. He um in the you know National League uh when he got sent down from the NL to the uh, International League I should say in 2023, it, it wasn't nearly as good. He hit about 250 with a, a 730 OPS. So I guess, first things first, what's your take on trying to roll the dice and see if you can catch some lightning in a bottle, some power in a bottle with Juan Lopez?
0: Yeah, so two things real quick. So I saw that Mike Rizzo was on MLB Network and said that he didn't want to block any prospects, which I think is the right approach. So don't expect some big-name signing, which we could have said that anyways because they don't look like they want to spend much money. But Don't expect them to spend crazy at a position like a third base or the outfield, you know, where you would think that they'd need to fill some holes. Don't expect them to do that because if James Wood comes out in spring training and shows he should be on the opening day roster they want to have a spot for him or Brady House or Trey Lipscomb or Yo-Yo Morales, whoever you want to name, Dylan Cruz. If they show, hey, I should be a part of this thing pretty early on, then they don't want to have a spot taken up by somebody they're paying $8 million. So, I mean, that's why we'll get to Senzel, some of the other one. It's kind of, I wouldn't say Candelario-like, because Candelario was more of a gamble, but you kind of knew a little bit more. I think these guys are maybe a little more of that gamble. or hoping you can hit on some of the upside. But back to Yepes. I think he gives you an opportunity to have a platoon at first base where apparently Meneses was dealing with an injury this past season, and that's why he didn't play as much in the field. At least that's what Rizzo had said. So if that's the case, maybe he's going to be the right-hander when they're facing a lefty. He'll be in the lineup as a DH most days, but if they want to take Yepes out, because if you look at his career stats, at least in the bigs, his splits, He's a much better hitter. He's a left-handed bat. He's a much better hitter against righties, which would be expected a 733 OPS against righties versus a 637 against lefties. So he's someone that maybe you can platoon with them and, get him into the lineup against righties and play first base over there. Uh, I think he's played a little of the corner outfield as well. So I think it just gives you an option at first base, because if there's one thing in the system right now, the Nationals don't have a lot of, it is first baseman. So, you know, taking a chance on a guy with some power is good too, because this team lacked power. I mean, The reality is Manessis was supposed to be your home run hitter last year, and he struggled in that department. There really weren't home run hitters on this ball club. So, you know, getting a guy with just raw power, I think is a good idea. I mean, they tried the idea of the defensive first baseman with not lots of pop. And I think it helped in the development of some of the young guys, but at some point you got to get some offense out of that position. So it'll be interesting to see what he can do. But I I think that's a, I like these kinds of
2: gambles by Rizzo. Yeah. So a couple of things on maybe how they'll use him, right? I, he signed a minor league deal. So by signing a minor league deal, it makes you think he will be fighting a little bit of an uphill battle early Mm -hmm. in the year to get to the major leagues. I've seen some speculation from some of the Nats beat. Maybe he becomes Matt Adams this year. Remember Matt Adams was kind of their power hitting starting first baseman at the triple a level at Rochester last season. And the idea was if anything happened to Manessas, he was insurance, you know, that that's major league caliber power that you could plug in, and at least get some run production from you're not going to get great at bats you're not going to get a high batting average necessarily i think yepes could kind of be that honestly which was you know a guy that starts for the most part at first base does some dhing but plays mostly at the aaa level and then you know when and if they need help they call him to the big league so i'm not convinced he'll be a mainstay with the major leagues now you mentioned the reverse splits And the fact that he had some success against lefties, I'm a little bit surprised they didn't go get a left-handed hitting uh, first baseman uh, because, you know, as you said, you kind of with Manessis, it's a little bit redundant to get a guy who's right-handed and has some of those same issues. Um, But that having been said, I was intrigued by what I saw from him at the major league level at 2022. He regressed in 2023. We're talking about a jag here. He's, He's just a guy. And, you know, the Cardinals basically said, Thanks, but no thanks. But when you're in rebuild mode, like this has worked for Washington, who knows? Maybe he has a great spring. He starts hitting for some of that power where he was hitting high average and, in, in, you know, 12 home runs at the major leagues and a little under half a season or whatever. And at that point, uh, the Nationals decide that uh, they can flip him for a minor, you know, the 22nd best prospect in their system or something. So when it doesn't cost any money, when it's a minor league deal, there's no downside. Um, you just got to be realistic about the expectations. So we'll cross him off the list of uh, guys to talk about. Next up is Nick Senzel. Uh, Senzel was at one point in time, actually a really good prospect, believe it or not. He was a top five pick out of Tennessee. I remember covering him pre-draft and there was a lot of question about how high up the board he would go. There's some knocks on him for, you know, power basically being that he played a corner. Um, but. While the power never came on, he is a versatile defender. He has played the corner outfield, corner infield at third base. He's played center field. He's a good athlete. You can kind of move him all over. He's going to be a utility option uh, on a good team. That's what he was for the Reds last year. We'll see if the Nats just decide to plop him right at third base. I mean, that's definitely something they could do. This cost them almost nothing. $2 $2 million for Senzel, $1 million in incentives. So it's kind of a, I don't even want to call it a buy low because I don't know how much potential there is for a breakout, but it's just a a cheap option who is actually pretty skilled from a physical trade standpoint. You don't go on the top five in the draft for no reason. He's got a chance with some incentives to get a little more. You know this, Toby. They wanted to bring Jamer Candelario back, but he got a ton of money. A year yeah. after they signed him for one in five mil, he got three years and $45 million from the Reds. I mean, so, but by them going three for 45 here, Senzel became a guy that was going to leave and he doesn't cost anything. And Washington just went with that option. Part of this too, as you said, is they don't want to block anybody. So whether it's Lipscomb coming or Brady House coming, you know, they don't want to do a three-year deal with Jamer Candelario where he's guaranteed to have a spot as a veteran. So th- this is kind of the mode that they're in right now. Yeah, and I
0: think it's the right approach for now. I mean, maybe next off season when some of the guys have gotten to the big league level and you kind of understand where you're at a little bit better in terms of when those guys will get to the big leagues, I think that's a time you can maybe do it. You could spend on pitching right now if you wanted to spend long-term on any position and be starting pitching. But yeah, I mean, I don't have an issue with this sort of a move with Senzel. Like you said, he can play all over the place. If you go back to his rookie season, if he can recapture some of that 256 batting average, three fifteen on base, four twenty-seven slug, he hasn't had a year like that since. So I wouldn't expect it. But, you know, he's has some potential. But at the same point, you know, it's a it's a cheap deal. I think it just fills a roster spot with a guy that can play third base every day if you need him to, or you can platoon him, or if you need him in the outfield. It's just another guy that can do a little bit of everything. So Again, I don't think any of these moves they've made so far, or probably will make it all this off season, are going to be wow sort of moves. But I don't know that this is the off season to do that, anyways.
2: Yeah, his career OPS is six seventy one, which is about fifty points below league average. Uh, believe it or not, his career batting average, speaking of Senzel, is two forty. You know, that's not as far below league average as you'd expect in, in this era. Having said that. Um, It has been, you know, you got to go back three seasons to find him hitting 250 and he's never hit 260 in a year. So he's not going to hit for average. He's not going to get on base necessarily. He doesn't really draw a ton of walks and he's not going to have a high OPS. What he can do is to your point, he can play a bunch of positions and he can hit some home runs. Uh, It's not Crazy power. It's, this isn't, you know, a 25-30 home run bat or anything like that. But if you played him 150 times, let's say, number one, you'd have a bad offense if you're playing him that often. But <laughs> if that were to happen, he would hit, I think, 23 or so home runs, you know, 24, 22 home runs. Like, he does have that kind of power. So it's just a matter of, like, what they want to be offensively. Um, but last season, defensively, just to kind of give you an idea – he was a DH four times. He played second six times. He played right field 18 times. He played center field 18 times. He played left field 23 times. He played third base 57 times. So he started at third, second, DH, and in all three outfield spots. I don't know if the plan is that he is there, Um Oh, what was the... Uh, I've already forget Chavis. You know, Michael Chavis, kind of. Or, or if he ends up being their starting third baseman, maybe they're just trying to bridge the gap, right, to, to house, and then you can move him around if Brady gets off to a fast start, as you were kind of talking about. But regardless, another move where, you know, he, he is... He will be standing well, in the field holding a glove playing for the Nationals. You no, know, that's kind of what we're yeah. talking about here.
0: And I will say, some of the guys that they were trotting out into the outfield, especially towards the end of the year, should not be playing outfield in the major leagues, right? I mean, like, uh, Ildemar Vargas is fine, but I'd rather have someone with a little bit more... You can't play Manassas vacuum. out there ever again, hopefully. Yeah, so, you know, it's if nothing else, he's your utility guy. Even if he d- ends up playing more everyday third base, he's someone that you can put another infielder in to play third base, and you can move him to the outfield, and you feel a little more confident because... I think that he can at least give you a competent outfielder. So I think that's – he's another utility guy for the roster. Who knows if he plays every day or not? But,
1: I mean, it's its the, just filling a roster spot, just honestly. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story and one of the best – the power of their data wasabi another boston based championship team all right last move they made was a rule 5 draft pick and i actually
2: like this fit a lot uh it's nasim nuñez um nasim nuñez is a guy who so he's a middle infielder let's start there so he plays he can play short very well he can play second base he is not a good offensive player he does not really hit and i don't think he'll ever hit much at the major league level however While he has zero power and doesn't hit very much, so you're like, all right, I'm out. He is a phenomenal defensive player and a sensational base runner. He is blazingly fast. He is excellent defensively, and he's got a big arm. This is a uh, late-inning, put-him-at-shortstop kind of guy, right? Now you have Abrams, and hopefully he comes on defensively and as a mainstay, you don't want to move him out of or around the infield. So maybe Nunez plays some second. Uh, he's got a good enough arm. I, I don't know why they couldn't also get him to start playing some third. I mean, the guy has everything you could possibly want defensively. But I saw him at the futures game. Now, I mean, this is a guy who had 70 steals and 86 attempts in a minor league season here. So there's even maybe you know some more learning and and kind of improving to be done as a runner. You know, a lot of it he's he's doing with speed. But he got left off the Marlins 40 man roster as one of their higher ranked prospects at one point in time. So they scooped him in the rule five draft. This is just explosiveness and twitch and athleticism. He's like five foot nine, maybe 160 pounds. He's a small guy. Again, I don't think he'll like he could play 162 games. I don't think he'd hit 10 home runs at the major league level, even the way the balls are wound and the velocity of the pitch is coming in now. I, I just don't see that. Uh, but you got to keep him in the big leagues. He's 23. He's a rule five pick. How does that happen? I think he's just a, a bench player in the infield who will play wherever needed. They put him in, in a lot of late inning situations. Anytime you're down by a run and somebody gets on base, he's your base runner. Uh, and I kind of think that's, he's like a, a, just an awesome bench player that they were intrigued by because they did need to improve their infield defense a little bit and, and they need, did need an option behind Abrams. They didn't really have a shortstop, you know, Ildemar Vargas, as you talked about in the outfield, just playing him, you know, every once in a while at shortstop, it's not a particularly great defensive situation. So that's kind of what they were thinking here. I think with this rule five pick of a guy who was a Georgia high schooler drafted out of Georgia, where he, I had a reputation, you know, before the draft of being one of the best defensive shortstops out of high school in a couple of years.
0: Yeah, and I think this goes back to why it's important that Senzel can play in the outfield, right? If he were just an infielder, I think you're starting to get a logjam of guys that can play just in the infield. But Senzel can play the outfield, and like you said, you needed a backup behind CJ Abrams. And it's not like this guy's going to play every day, like you said. He's got to stay on the roster, so he's going to come in late inning situations. You want to steal a base? I mean what better than to get a guy that stole 70 in 2022 and then stole 52 this year at double A. I mean, you can't get much better than that. So I I like bringing in a guy like that. He's going to be able to play second base or shortstop defensive replacement. He's not going to be someone that's the most exciting in terms of playing every day, hitting for power and showing you all types of superstar type potential, but you bring in a guy that can be a late inning replacement. I mean, Jeter Downs was on this roster for a a decent portion of last year. And did you ever see Jeter Downs? Like, it seemed like I never saw Jeter Downs. So you have a 26-man roster. Doesn't mean all 26 men are going to get used all the time. I think having him there, though, as a late-inning replacement up the middle defensively to improve and also to steal some bags is a nice addition to the bench.
2: Yeah, no doubt about it. I I think the Jeter Downs point's really good. Like, you just have to keep him in the show. You don't have to play him. Like, there's no requisite number of games he's got to appear in. So, if he plays, you know, once or twice a week, it's blowout either way. Get CJ off his feet, get him at shortstop or, you know, put him at second. They really don't know who their second baseman is right now, by the way. I mean, I don't know what your thought is on second base, but we've been talking a lot about Senzel, you know, at third. Uh, well, I mean, Luis Garcia has been guaranteed nothing. Davey Martinez, maybe something we should bring up was on MLB Network. And I'm sure you saw that interview where he basically said, like, we've told him the job is not his coming into camp. Like, you're competing for the job. And if you're not the best second baseman, you're not going to be the starter. I'm paraphrasing. But uh, I do think, you know, if nothing else, there's enough games where they're down by a bunch. There's the occasional game where they're up by a bunch or or just, you know, even as a pinch runner, He'll play enough to justify him being the last guy on the roster and keeping him around. And is generally the case with the Rule 5 guys. You know, you get banged up over the course of the season. Whenever you're banged up, that's an injury list. It's not a, we'll gut through it, we'll play through it. You know, you just stash them on the shelf, give them a couple weeks to get right, and then bring them back. So uh, I think that uh, they won't have many problems getting through the season with him up top.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's basically something now where you got a bunch of guys that can play second base, and you're pushing Garcia. It's not his spot. It's not guaranteed. You, you know, he's going to have the the easiest way into winning that job, but that's not necessarily guaranteed. But you bring in a guy and, you know, Nunez, that you obviously have some clear plans for in terms of stealing bags. But this past year, his on-base percentage was 341. He's never going to hit for power. But, you know, if he's a a guy that takes over at second base because Garcia doesn't show you enough and he's just playing there sporadically or even a decent bit, just find a way to get on base. You're batting in the nine hole. Just find a way to get on and steal ahead of Abrams, right? I mean, so we'll see. But I think you've got a bunch of guys now that you can kind of rotate through. So Garcia obviously understands. Like last year, there weren't tons of guys, like you're not gonna play Chavis over him you're not gonna play Jeter Downs over him, and then obviously we had all the stuff happen in the middle of the season. he gets sent down all the stuff like that so hopefully he's gotten the message, but even more so now when he shows up to spring training, I mean there's a bunch of guys that can play his position that I would say are a little more qualified than the guys they had on the roster last year so if he doesn't show up ready to roll, you can roll with one of these other guys or hopefully he does show up ready to go and you know these guys are quality guys behind them so you know, I I think that, you know, you look around the infield shortstop set and that's pretty much it. And that's why I think that these sorts of moves are fine because, you know, if, if Lipscomb shows he's ready, he can play all of these positions around the infield, bring him up, you know, if Brady house at some point shows he needs to be in the big leagues, go ahead and do it. I think that's the smart way to go about it right now, where you don't have to finagle anything. You don't have to worry about, Oh, we're paying this guy too much. We can't, have him ride the pine. No, you just bring up your guys when they're ready. And I think that's a nice message to send for those guys, too, to keep trying to press to get better every single day. And, you know, hopefully they'll get rewarded by being in the big league soon.
2: It's a great point. Yeah, when, when, just as an example, when James Wood is ready to graduate and play right field at some point this season, like you swing Lane over to left or play him in center and it's over, right? Either at that point, let's say Stone Garrett's healthy and playing like he gets less of an opportunity or if Victor Robles is the center fielder somehow some way. like uh, then that's over, right? I mean, it doesn't really matter. in other words, uh, same with Dylan Cruz like when he's ready, he's the priority. There's nobody blocking him. and the same can be said in the infield. Let's say they go with their incumbents, you know Luis Garcia at second, Carter Keyboom at third and and that's your opening day lineup and Nick Senzel and, and um, well, we know Nunez will be on the bench, but you know, you have a, a bench with some of the guys that they're bringing in here. And I'm not sure that'll be the case. I would imagine Senzel would, would start, but point being, there's just nobody blocking uh, any of their players. And it's by design. And it's a smart thing to do going into a year where you're not sure when these guys are going to be ready. Ideally it's a couple, you know, it's may before Dylan Cruz is coming up or, or June, you know, before uh, we're seeing, you know, James Wood. But we don't know. I mean, it could be earlier. They could get off to a you know, crazy tear, and they think they're ready, and there's a couple injuries. Remember how Juan Soto was in A-ball and then got bumped up and was in A for like a week, and they had to call him up because of an injury to Michael Taylor and a couple other things going on in the system with outfielders at 19 years old. That was not the plan. It, the offseason before Soto debuted like right now, nobody was talking about that guy as a top prospect in the system, nobody. And on top of that, no one thought he was about to be in the majors that season. So you just don't know uh, for sure. But having said that uh, right now, things look kind of like they did at the end of the season, a lineup with something along the lines of Abrams and Thomas and Manessis and Ruiz up top, probably Garcia and Victor Robles and, Uh, Carter Keyboom and Jake Alou all competing for different roles in time with Luis Garcia and now Nick Senzel uh, in the mix. Ildemar Vargas will be back. Nunez will be on that bench. And for now, it looks like Riley Adams will be catcher number two.